So on the night that we refer to as Thursday, and now Maundy Thursday, Jesus gave them a new command that you shall be known as those who love. And so the new command is to love others. And that's where we get our Latin term, Maundy. But on that night, much happened. In fact, you could, uh, there are many different passages that refer to this single evening that if you were to collectively bring them all together, they would form the, one of the largest books of the New Testament. But tonight, what we're going to focus in on is the table itself. There's imagery with the table. And Jesus gave us that imagery by which we can then remember much going forward. And so when we usually refer to the table, we think in terms of communion, where we participate in the receiving of the bread, which was the body of Christ, and, and the taking of the cup, which is the blood of a new covenant. But the imagery of the table is actually much greater than that. In the text, in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 7, the context of that night begins with the pursuit of finding a table. It says, then, the came, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water uh, will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, and he will make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Fascinating statement that probably didn't even strike your attention in that was the term eager. So you have this strange table that none of them had ever eaten at before. We don't even know if they knew the person whose home they walked into. We don't know if that person knew that he was going to have to host. All we're told is that two of the disciples were told to find a person carrying water and stock them. I mean, think about it. That person's unsuspecting. They're just simply doing a household task. Next thing you know, he's got two people following him. They go to a house. They come up, and they speak to the owner of the home, saying, where is the place where the teacher can then prepare a place of feasting, the Passover feast, with his disciples? There must be a large room. So he takes them up. There's a large room. They go into it, and, and they begin the preparations. But when Jesus walks in, he says a statement. I am eager. I have been eagerly awaiting this moment to break bread with you, to 
participate in the Passover with you. When you consider the term eager, think about the last time you might have used that term, that I am eager to do what? Eager to do what? It's a strong term in our language and in the Hebrew language and in the Greek language. To say eager was meaning highly anticipated. In fact, full of energy for what is being anticipated. But here's where it strikes me when I pause on that word. Think about who he's saying this to. Think about who's at the table. Would you be eager to love on somebody at a table that has just conspired against you the day before? Would you be eager to serve that person bread? To then offer a cup? Would you be willing to humble yourself before the conspirator and wash their feet? I know my nature. It's easy to love on somebody who you know will reciprocate. But if I knew that somebody had conspired against my life and I was having them at my table with others, I wouldn't blanket statement saying, I am eager to share this table with you. I would have qualified it. I'm eager to share this table with you, well, at least most of you. But here's the problem. That still doesn't work. Because not only at that table is the conspirator, there's also his right-hand man that he's leaned on for three years, Peter. Peter was going to, at this table, do what he always did, spoke very boldly, very brash, saying, I will go to the death for you, Jesus. Only to, just a few hours later, what? Deny him three times. So you have a conspirator, and you have the big talker, your best friend, the one that is right there that you're going to lean on often, and that person isn't going to be there at your moment of need. In fact, the entire table is going to abandon Jesus that night. When you look at it like that, then it becomes really mysterious as to why Jesus would say, I am eager to participate with you at this table, the Passover feast. The Passover feast was remembering the moment when there was provision for safety when the angel of death came to destroy the firstborn of Egypt. There was blood put on the doorposts around each home for those who wanted to honor the Lord and to obey him. If they wanted protection from that death angel, that's what they needed to do. And then they were given strict instructions as to what they were to eat. Some of it symbolized sacrifice, the blood on the doorposts, to the lamb's meat on the inside that they ate to the unleavened bread, which says, be prepared to leave in a hurry. All of that was to provide remembrance of God's provision. But it also foreshadowed 
a long-term permanent sacrifice yet to come. So Jesus is going to practice the Passover that has been foreshadowing what is about to happen in the next 24 hours and then ultimately 72 hours. So he was eager to reveal the Passover through himself and to do so with the 12 that he had invested three years of life and ministry with. And yes, he was eager in spite of knowing that one had already conspired against him and will betray him later that night. He was still eager to be at that table even though he knew Peter, the one that would, would brandish and talk big, was going to deny him three times. And by the way, the first denial to a young teenage girl. Where's the big talk, Peter, right? And then ultimately, every one of the other disciples, when trouble came, abandoned him, left. But I don't believe Jesus is speaking smoke in the mirrors. He's literally being honest. He wants to share this table with such a crew. In spite of the rejection, in spite of their lack of character that was going to be on, on, on uh, display that night, Jesus wanted to eat at the table with them. And even while at that table, in verse 22, after he has just done the communion, and, and for the first time that is to be remembered throughout generations so that we would not forget what Jesus did, what did the disciples do as their first act coming off, the, off of such a moment? They argued once again as to who's the greatest. But Jesus was eager to still be at the table with them. Jesus eventually wanted to show them the full extent of his love at that table. You see, there wasn't a servant for whatever reason or a slave that came to wash their feet. So Jesus, wanting to show the full extent of his love, got up from the table, took off his outer coat, put a towel around his waist, and began to do the slave's role in the house. He washed their feet. He served them at that table. Now they felt pretty silly for having jostled for position at such a table. Because clearly, the greatest one at the table was Jesus. And they all knew it. And now they're seeing him be the one to wash their feet. To show the full extent of his love for them. All that happened at that table. Wouldn't it be something if all of us right now could watch that evening on the screen and see it in real time watch it for all the faces in the room and seeing how they're responding to Jesus experiencing being appalled knowing what they are doing by arguing about greatness being appalled by the idea that Jesus is still excited and eager to be with them at the table knowing what's going to come next But I think Jesus had already given why he was eager to come to that table with them. 
by a parable he gave just a few chapters before in Luke 14. Jesus responds to those who are with him at a table and said, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God, one man said. Jesus responded while sitting at that table. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant out to tell those who had been invited that the time had come and that the, everything was now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought a yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Wink, wink. The servant came back and reported this to his master and the, ma the owner of the house became very angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room at the table, my ad. Then the master told his servant, all right, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, those who had been invited but did not come will not get to taste of this banquet. So what's Jesus' heart in this parable? He handles rejection. Not by being despised and angry and just saying, okay, well then it is for who it is. No, he says, this table is ready. I'll bring whoever I can to fill this table. And basically, when you look at the list of the people that they ended up having come to the table, it would be the riffraff, if you will, of their culture. The blind, the lame, the country people, the byway type people, the travelers, that's not a great wedding list. It's not a great banquet list. But yet, Jesus says, that's my heart when you talk about the kingdom of God. Is this table is meant to be full. And it does not matter to me who is qualified for it. Because I will qualify them as the one making the invitation. You see, that's the beautiful thing of the table on Thursday night with his disciples, is that none of them were qualified to be at that table. In fact, they disqualified themselves for being there by their behaviors of that evening. But Jesus knew that he was going to qualify them. He knew he was going to redeem them which is what makes this table very unique, is that look around this room at who's here. Who among us is more qualified than another to be at this table? None of us. None of us are worthy of participating 
in what we're about to do. None of us. Some of us might have actually denied Jesus this week. Somebody spoke of Easter and and you kind of brushed it off as something that means nothing to you. Some of you, in a moment where maybe Jesus had an opportunity to shine through you, perhaps maybe in that moment you abandoned Jesus when he's trying to work in somebody else's life. Maybe some of you just simply are like what the banquet invitations were. I just got a new car. I got to try it out. I just got married. I don't have time for doing other things that God might want me to do. I just bought a new house. I'm busy furnishing it. Jesus is undeterred by our excuses, by our failures. He's not impressed by our qualifications. He merely wants his house full. I'm so thankful that he didn't make heaven for the qualified because it would be empty. But I'm thankful that he wants to fill heaven to its brim by those he's redeemed. That's his table. That's what brings us tonight to this moment where we practice the things that he did that night so we won't soon forget. Some of you grew up in traditions where foot washing was common, a regular occurrence. Others of you grew up in traditions where that just never happened. So what we've done is we've kind of cut the middle because the point is, is serving each other. Foot washing was a necessary part of their culture as they walked around in sandals on dirt roads, not concrete paths, not paved roads, so their feet needed washed when they came into a house. We have coverage for our feet and we walk on clean ground. So perhaps maybe a way you could serve somebody tonight is you wash their hands. You can wash the feet. There are, that's an availability to you. But maybe part of what you could do is serve another person by washing their hands. There are towels at the four washing stations. There are towels there. You can pour the water over their hands into the, into the bowl, please. That'll be best. But as you do so, speak words of encouragement and affirmation to them. And then when you're finished, allow the next person who might be in line waiting to serve another. We also have four places of communion. There's a table here and then in the back, table here, and then in the back. And those are places where you can come and participate in communion with a family member, with a friend, by yourself if you wish. But just know that as Paul said on the night that Christ was betrayed, he made this statement that as he broke the bread, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Meant for you. So that we would then know how to live in this body. Then he took the cup and he held it up and he said, This is my blood, which shall be of a new covenant, an everlasting covenant, one that doesn't have an end. 
It is the permanent coverage of sins. So as you take of the bread, be mindful of the invitation to his table and that he was eager to have you come. And as you drink of the cup to realize this is his blood and remember that that covers your sins once and for all. It qualifies you to become righteous in his eyes. And then as you finish, there are baskets that you can put the cups into. There, just step aside while you're having that moment of reflection so others can grab bread and and take of the cup. And again, there are four tables, so just be patient as as people are doing that. And, And when we come to our end, there'll be an opportunity for us singing. There'll be music as we're doing this. So you can, at any point when you are ready, participate at the washing table or at the table of communion of remembrance. This is your time for the next few minutes to participate as God leads. So Father, it's your love that sent Jesus here. It's your vision as the Father God to create a table for all of us, to fill that table to the brim with people, unsuspecting people, people unqualified, but nonetheless invited. Thank you, Jesus, for being obedient to the Father and becoming that bridge, dying upon that cross, shedding of your blood to be that perfect sacrifice that enables us to be received at this table. Be pleased now as we take remembrance of you.